Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. It is week seven of the college football season, if you can believe that. We are almost halfway through the season, regular season already. Hard to believe. Um, Bruce, I want to start this week. Michael Mulvihill at Fox, at your company. He's like the research audience research guru. Uh, tweeted something on Tuesday that really caught my eye. Total viewing of college football across all networks is up 12% this year and up 28% over the last five years. Um, And he goes on to say, and I think it's going up again next year when the Big Ten broadcast triple header is fully in place and Disney has total flexibility to place the SEC inventory whether they want it. There are certainly emerging sports that have gaudier growth percentage from a lower base of viewership. I think I don't know what he's referring to there, like pickleball or something. But among well-established major properties, I don't know what in all of TV is trending any better than college football. So it seems like we're at this sport that, every, that I heard was going to die <laughs> over the last three summers. Oh, it's going to be the death of college football is, is having a boom. Do you have any theories why? I have a couple. I'm going to start with, to me, the most obvious, and it's something we've talked about a lot, and that is... Colorado is getting insane numbers for games that would not rate at all before. And that Deion Sanders, I think, has not just mattered to get some TV numbers going. I think it's mattered to bring other fans into the sport. But I would just say real quickly that Deion is definitely inflating the numbers this year. But 28% over the last five years cannot be... um, no, but I think it's I think this year is a significant thing. I think you have to me it's not all of it, but I think that's a real part of it. You know, I Dan Lanning was very um gracious when he pointed this out after they beat Colorado was like Dion has gotten more people paying attention to college football. And that's a that's a definite thing. The other thing that I think is big is you had and part of this is NIL. You had a lot of elite high-level quarterbacks in the sport right now. I can never remember this deep of a group. And just for, you know, wonky stats numbers, I'm going to read off. So Caleb Williams, and Caleb couldn't have left, obviously, anyway, because it's, you know, he's only been out of high school. This will be out of, he'll be able to leave this this spring for the first time. Jane Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix. Those are the top five guys in in QB rating, they all have, they all are playing at a higher level, at least statistically to this point than CJ Stroud, who was the most prolific uh, quarterback in college football last year. And I think, you know, people love offensive football and it's made it very compelling. I think, you know, the PAC 12 is, has been something that what I think you've seen. And again, this is, you know, people can probably tell me, oh, yeah, that's actually not what it is. Here's, But it's a theory of mine is 
when the Pac-12 did so well in the first couple of weeks of the season of non-conference football, and it was counter to what we are so used to from the SEC, I do think that that kind of gets more or keeps people more engaged. I mean, if people just think, and you know, I would go back to this too, because Michigan hasn't played anybody of note yet. Now we know they will, but like, if it just devolves into, well, it's going to be Alabama and Georgia and, you know, because the rankings, the recruiting rankings said this, you know, I think for a lot of people, they just are, are there's the fatigue of it. And I just think now there's a sense that more people have a chance this year than they have in any time before. Um, yes, I think that you're on to something. Um, when I think, okay, what five years ago, what, what season was that? It was the 2019 season. It was the Joe Burrow season. Um, and magical year, a magical year. Joe Burrow transfer quarterback. Uh, all, most of the guys you just listed off transfer quarterbacks. I think the transfer portal, something that a lot of coaches complain about, even some fans think, oh, it's turning college into a professional sport has, has been a boon for college football for a couple of reasons. Um, and when I refer to the transfer portal, I, I, I'm more referring to, well, I guess I'm referring to the portal, which I think started around the same time, around 2018, the, the period we're talking about. I feel like before that, transfers were mostly guys who were stuck down on the depth chart and hadn't gotten a lot of playing time and were looking for a better opportunity. And most of those guys, unless they were grad transfers, had to wait a year to play. What we've started to see over the last five years is big name quarterbacks, and I'm talking mostly about quarterbacks, who move. And and you know, 2019, the one that the first one that I remember being like, wow, this feels different was Jalen Hurts. Because Jalen Hurts was a big, big name in college football, even though he had gotten passed over by Tua. And when he tr- decided to transfer, it was like one of the big, it was like, you know, a huge, huge free agent in the NBA or something. Suddenly it's Aaron Rodgers this year. And he ends up at Oklahoma. And I remember the first Oklahoma game of the season that year was a Sunday night game against Houston. And it got some monster rating because I think there's curiosity, right? Like people want to see Jalen Hurt. They know Jalen Hurts. What's he going to look like in an Oklahoma uniform? How's he going to impact Oklahoma? And ever since then, it just seems like we're seeing more and more guys of that profile move around the sport. And this year, I mean, almost everybody you've just listed in terms of the highest rated Caleb, uh, Caleb transfer, Jaden Daniels transfer, Michael Penix transfer, Bo Nix, Dylan Gabriel, right on down the line. Um, now, some of these guys are grad transfers who could have done this 10 years ago, um, but I just feel like it became more normalized. And then the other effect of the transfer portal like you mentioned Colorado, the Colorado story would not be what it is if Dion was coaching last year's Colorado roster, right? I mean, he he came in and he did this audacious thing of basically turning over the whole roster through the portal and it, and it worked and they became a lot more um, a lot more exciting team to watch. So it's almost like college football was missing this element that the pro sports have of free agency and player movement. And it got it. And I think it's had a it's actually had a positive effect on fan interest. I also think, you know, you said it and you kind of glossed over it, but like, you know, a lot of fans, college football fans, because, you know, I feel like you feel 
you know, have a vested interest in college football. It's whether your school is or whatever. And a lot of, you know, there, I'm not saying, I don't know how much overlap there is between college and NFL, but the NFL ratings dwarf college football ratings. I mean, there is something to be said for their formula. And I know from having conversations with coaches in college who have worked in the NFL, they talk about why they think there's a lot of good that can come from adopting some of the things that really make a lot of sense for the sport if it went to a more professionalized model. Now, they're not saying everything should be that way, but some of those things, and I agree with you. I just remember, you know, the LSU team, and I use the term magical, like obviously Joe Burrow, you know, they beat Cincinnati for him. It wasn't like Joe Burrow was what you said with Jalen Hurts, um, where there were so many schools jumping in line to try to get him. But I thought what that did was there was a newness factor to it. And if you can get some, obviously LSU had won national titles. They won multiple ones in the, you know, in the, in the 2000s. But I just think there was something exciting because it was different because for a, for a, and it's right now, it's like, you know, look, if Oregon or Washington breaks through, um, you know, obviously both of them have been in, they were playoff teams, but it's been a while. Um, and I just think that when you get these new brands, especially if they're brands that like, you know, yeah, maybe you're a Washington fan, but maybe you're not, maybe you're just like, okay, this is somebody I like this, you know, I like this storyline. I, you know, I'm going to get behind them because my school's not very good, you know, kind of thing. And I do think there's something to be said for that. Right. And to me, that's what what drives it. By the way, I went back and looked. To me, one of the first big transfer quarterbacks when things were changing, I'm going to give you a name because I thought he was a phenomenal college quarterback when he was healthy, but he did the opposite of what used to go on where if you wanted to, to get eligible right away, you had to transfer down. And this was Vernon Adams, prolific mm-hmm. FCS quarterback who had lit up some Pac-12 teams when they had played them when he was at Eastern Washington. I remember going up to... I think it's Cheney, Washington, where where they were, because Vernon was like kind of in a little bit of limbo. And I think I just got to Fox and we did a sit down on camera with him. And there was a there was a piece that went with it. And just and that was. Do you know how long ago that was? 2015. Did you look it up? I just remember. Yeah, it's 2015. Mariota's last year was 2014 and he came in after him. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember the next year. Um, there was another quarterback who had been at Montana or Mo- Montana State, and it was a kid I knew because he had trained with, with George Woodfield, and he went up to Oregon. He had he was a good athlete. Oh, yeah. Was playing what well, was his, he didn't work Dakota, out as well. He didn't work out as well. Dakota Prukop, who's still oh, yeah. playing in the CFL, like Vernon is, by the way. Um, and But Dakota got there right when they had this like un- under-recruited, gifted quarterback who turned out to be Justin Herbert. So, yes. Uh you know, and just to show, like, there's always been this disconnect between the people in the sports feelings about the transfer portal, about transfers, and and the public. I distinctly remember I was at one of these college football playoff meetings where you stake out the commissioners. And Carl Benson, who was the Sunbelt commissioner at the time, I think they were, there was like a years of discussion about how the transfer thing should work. And I remember he mentioned Vernon Adams, you know, as if like that was a problem, you know, like. It's just not fair. Eastern Washington trained this guy for three, four years, and he just gets to leave. Uh, and it's like he yes, just I gets have, to leave. Yeah, <laughs> I have sympathy for that for Eastern Washington, but at the same time, like 
This is a guy you who own, you don't own him. You don't own him, but also like, why would you want to deny? This is the ultimate example of a guy who was overlooked, and you know he ended up there for a reason, and now he gets to go prove himself at the biggest in the biggest stage. Like, and you're saying that's a bad thing, and I feel like that's been the case all along. Like, I get it, coaches don't like when players leave, especially once they weren't expecting to leave. And so it's hard for them. But I think this thing that they all hate has been good for the sport in general. Um, and now, of course, Transfer Portal is connected to NIL, this other boogeyman, right? And full disclosure, this reason this is on my mind is I'm writing a column about it. It's going to go up Friday on The Athletic. But now NIL and P- Portal are kind of hand in hand, right? These big name guys that are transferring are not doing it for free. Um but also, you know, Washington, Oregon this weekend, I don't think Knicks and Penix are still there this year if they couldn't make NIL money, right? That, that, um, cause they could have turned pro. I don't think they would have been first round picks, but they would be making a salary right now. And they're able to, I mean, Bo Nix in particular, I think is probably making more money in college than he would in the NFL. Um, you know, so in that way, star players staying in college a year longer. Cause you said like, there's so many good quarterbacks this year. I think that's part of it. A lot of guys who could have turned pro didn't, uh, which is the opposite of what it used to be when guys were just turning pro, whether they, you know, whether that was a smart decision or not. Well, this goes back to something, you know, when Max and I did that story about um, the tamper portal kind of thing, one thing that, you know, came up from some coaches was the agents who used to be able to kind of nudge guys into the draft and say, well, you know, you could start earning money. You might be a fifth or sixth round pick and maybe they'd get drafted. Maybe they wouldn't. Now they're nudging those guys to transfer because they know they get a bigger percentage of their deal if it's an NIL deal. And, you know, look, it could be good business. Maybe a guy who might have been a free agent or a sixth round pick could be could play himself into be a third round pick. So, and then you get more money. Now you don't start your clock towards your next deal, but if you get a little more development, you, you know, it can definitely play for you in the long run. So lots of theories. um, And I'm sure there's not just one easy answer, but I do think. um, Oh, I should, we should mention the elephant in the room. Cause when I put this out on Twitter, Jimmy trainer brought it up. FanDuel, DraftKings, legalized gambling. No question. I'm sure that has had an effect. But it has also had effect on every other sport. And um, Mobile Hill saying that the he didn't specify what the other sports percentages are, but that college footballs is much higher. Um, More of an and, outlier. and by the way, he's right. Like next year, you know, I saw uh, ESPN put out a release that they're on pace for their highest rated season since 2016. Dion obviously has a big part of that. And that's despite the fact they lost the Big Ten this year. Like they're in this in between year where next year they'll have the CBS SEC game. I do think though they lost the big 10, but the big 10 to this point, to this point, I don't say it hasn't mattered, but like the big 10's real games haven't started yet. Correct. NBC, you know, paid all this money for this big 10 deal and their games have been awful because I mean, I don't, I don't exactly know why their schedule. I mean, some of them they put on, uh, why did I peacock peacock? Uh, but, um, you know, it's like they have Illinois, Maryland this week. Nobody, nobody's going to watch that. Um, but part of it is just like the big 10 is three teams this year, 14 teams in that conference and three of them matter. So that's, 
That will change soon, Stu. That will change. That'll change soon. Be in in, nine months. In part because you know, two, four teams from the Pac-12 are going to go, and all four of them this year are top twenty-five teams. Three of them are in the top ten right now, and two of them, Oregon and Washington, are going to meet this weekend in Seattle. These teams have been playing since nineteen hundred, and this is the first time ever that they are meeting both ranked in the top ten. So. Pretty big deal out here. Uh, first of all, do you do you have any lean of like who's going to win this game? I don't. Um, if it was in Eugene, I would be more inclined to pick the Ducks, um, but it's not. And I, you know, I feel like Oregon has the better defense statistically. I know they do. Um, my hunch is that Washington, because they're home, and that's a really good home field atmosphere. I think Washington gets them. Yeah. And that's basically. Keep in mind, Washington won in Eugene last year, so not impossible. But what, something you said I think is absolutely right. Like, they both have incredible offenses, and Washington's in particular has been statistically ridiculous. Um, now, part of the problem is Washington hasn't played anybody, so to, to really know how good their defense is or isn't. But I thought Oregon had one of the statement defensive showings of the season against Colorado. Um Colorado is not going to the national championship, but they've got weapons and Shador Sanders is really good. And they shut them down completely. Here's sack them a million times. Like that's, that's a pretty good sign. It is. And it isn't. Here's the biggest difference I think between the, you know, cause it's not like uh, Oregon's played a great slate of opponents. They haven't. Um, And yes, I think Shador is, is excellent. And his receivers are, are very good. But Washington has the best offensive line in the in the conference, and it it's basically been there where Penix hasn't taken sacks the last two years. That's way different than what Colorado is. Colorado has, you know, by far the worst offensive line. Shador has been sacked ten times, or I'm sorry, nine times more than the next worst pass protection in the in the Pac-12. Correct. I just, you know, I just think it's a it's a very different dynamic. I do think Washington will be able to hold up much better. Um I'm going to like I said, if this game was in it was at Austin, I would probably pick the Ducks. It's not. Washington and Oregon both have great offensive lines. And in fact, I just looked this up. They have both allowed only 3 sacks all season which means tied for second nationally. Um, and, the th- and and Oregon, I was totally wrong about Oregon. I thought coming into the season with the guys they lost on the offensive line, no way would they be able to protect Knicks as well as they did last year. They absolutely are. He is great on the deep ball. I, like, it, I, I You're think picking it, Oregon, I assume? I'm picking Oregon, I think. Not by much. But, you know, if you told me... This, this is the thing, like the final score of this game could be like 52 to 49. Or it could be much less than that because we just we're going to finally see these teams against really good defenses and they might might be able to slow them down. In particular, here's the thing. Here's another thing that, that maybe isn't in Washington's favor. Um, they don't have a great running game. It's all panics. It's all the receipt like that. Those guys are phenomenal. But if they actually need to run the ball, can they? Um. You know, it's a good question because, I mean, they're, you know, they haven't run the ball as much. 
Um, they're still been fairly efficient. I'm looking at it now, averaging 4.7 yards a carry. I mean, that's not a bad thing. I just don't know, you know, how much are they going to lean on it is, is a good question, right? Um, you, you know, when they went, like, last time out, they had four rushing touchdowns, but only 111 yards against Arizona. It was on the road. They gave them basically all they could handle. But they have not really leaned on the run game. You know, like the most carries they've had in a game, I'm looking at it was 33. That was at Michigan State in a game that was over before halftime. You know, so I, I just think, you know, will they – like this is something that – They haven't had and, to run the ball because yeah, Penix has like five touchdown passes by halftime. But then you do have to run it because you're not going to keep throwing it all the time, right? It's just like I think Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb have that in them because I know that was part of their pedigree from where they come from. It's just what has been the thing that you hang your hat on now. And um, I can't wait for this game. I just think it's going to be fascinating because I think they're going to show some stuff that they haven't had to show yet. It's going to be a phenomenal game. I'm going to be there. I can't wait. And then the other big game this weekend, you're going to be there, USC-Notre Dame. I'm surprised Notre Dame is favored. Am I crazy? No, or you're not. It, or is uh, it know, just that everybody's that down on USC's defense? The, the reason why I why I'm surprised Notre Dame is favored is because this is week four of a gauntlet for the Irish, and you know obviously it was an emotional Ohio State game, then it was a, an emotional Duke game, then last week they got they got mauled by. Louisville, you know, Louisville ran it down their throats. They couldn't run it. So now you got USC. I think people have seen USC really look shaky the last two weeks. The last, the two last weeks, three weeks. I'm trying to remember who was before ASU. ASU. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. ASU onside kick at the end. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. The last three weeks they have looked and they haven't looked, honestly, they haven't looked great on offense. They don't look, they didn't look great on offense last week. So that gives me. That would definitely give me concern. Um, I don't know if I if I said to you who you, who would you pick in this game, spread or not, who would you say? I think I'm going to pick SC um, because you have more confidence in Caleb Williams and his correct. receivers than you do in Sam Hartman right now. Correct. Uh, that's exactly right. This is going to be a big moment for Sam Hartman, who's been a little disappointing the last couple weeks, a lot disappointing the last couple weeks, but he's going against a defense that he should be able to pick apart. Frankly, any average college quarterback should be able to pick apart. I saw a little a video of, you know, Lincoln Riley does those scrums after practice. And you could tell he's getting a little sick of answering questions about the defense. And he just continues to trot out there that they're much improved. They've got all this great potential. They just need to work through some things. Bruce, USC has allowed um, 38 plays of 20 yards or more that is 129th in the country the only teams have allowed more 20 yard plays than usc are nevada south florida louisiana tech and umass so so that might be why that's probably the best explanation why notre dame's favored although i will say it's not like no i mean arizona had better receivers than notre dame's gonna have yes that is true colorado had better receivers than notre dame's gonna have so uh, but that'll be a good one. That'll be a good one. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The other one I'm keeping a little bit of an eye on, um, A&M at Tennessee. And here's why. You and I, I feel like, have talked a lot, especially over the offseason, about Jimbo Fisher, what do you get fired? You've said eight and four, get him fired. Well, he's got two losses. There hasn't been a lot of of that talk yet, because I think those were both games that you knew they could possibly lose. He needs this. One. Wait, wait, did a lot of people think they were going to really lose to Miami? They were the favorite. They didn't think they would and lose the way they well, did. certainly didn't think they would lose the way they did. But I want to say that was a fairly small spread. I don't remember exactly. It was, yeah, it was probably Miami. Like five, maybe. If you lose to Tennessee, though, and you've still got to play Ole Miss and LSU, this is the thing. All these games are on the road at Tennessee, at Ole Miss, at LSU. Um, they need to win this game. Can they win this game? Oh, yeah, I think they can. I mean, they're, here's the challenge for them. And this is a this is a fun matchup for this reason. They have a really good run defense and they have a really suspect pass defense. If you can get time, you can give them a lot of problems. And that's what Miami did. And I think, obviously, we know Josh Heupel has a potent passing attack. You know, the question is, can Joel Milton exploit the the opportunities he's going to get? If he can, then I definitely think, you know, Tennessee will win this game. Um, you know, to me, and again, the way Max Johnson is playing, I don't feel like there's a, been a huge drop-off with Wegman. You know, their offense hasn't been great, but they have enough firepower. Um, but But I don't know. Like... I feel this is the swing game. If Jimbo wins this game, if AM wins this game, I think he's got a he chance. He's got a chance. If he loses this game, man, I think the buzzards are going to really start swirling there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tennessee, by the way, not quite as explosive as last year when they were unbelievable. So they averaged 7.2 yards per play last year, second in the country uh, this year so far. 6.6 to 27th in the country. It, you you touched on this in your mailbag. I, I read this where it was about Jimbo's hot seat. And um, I think there's two questions to this. And it's funny because I remember this, this was like something related to Kevin Sumlin back in the day was like, 
who are you going to get? Meaning you're going to fire somebody, you're going to spend a fortune to do it. All right. I get that you feel like this is not working out. It's year six. You can't be eight and four in year six. If at a place where you're spending a hundred million dollars and an insane amount of money. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, what, what, where, where I'm going with this is not so coincidentally, what's the biggest game in, and people aren't going to like when I'm going to say this in certain parts of the country, but what's the biggest game of the week? To me, it's uh, US. No, no, to everybody. What's the biggest game of this week? We've already talked about it. Oregon, Washington. Correct. So if you're looking and if you're a Texas A&M fan, you know, if Oregon wins that, we know Dan Lanning's coached in the SEC again. Like if you're a Texas A&M fan, you're looking at it going, all right, who are we going to be able to get? If we're if we're gonna if somebody's gonna write the check to get rid of Jimbo, I mean, those would be two of the names you'd have to think we gotta really consider. Uh, you're talking about those two coaches? Yes, I'm talking about Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer, both guys we respect a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, mean Lanning, Lanning would probably be much more popular there because of the Georgia experience, but um, and he was at Alabama. Before. What I suggested was, unless it just goes totally south. Maybe wait a year because a year from now, I think Dion might be ready to move. But I could also see where you're like, well, let's not. If you're Dion, I don't know if you like, I get it. It's it's being in the state of Texas and he obviously has super strong ties there. The part that I, don't, I wouldn't gloss over is Rick George in Colorado are doing everything to be on team Dion. I find it. I, I am very skeptical that Texas A&M with the way that place operates would be all in on Dion to do everything he would want. I disagree because Texas A&M basically turned over the keys to the castle to Jimbo. And, but and Jimbo's do doing Jim. Yeah, but that's different. Jimbo's doing things the way an SEC coach would operate. Dion is doing things way different in terms from a social media presence, from the, from everything see, about yeah. it is way different. That is so outside the norm. So, so in your mind, what I get what you're saying and I think we brought when people say, "Oh, he could be the successor to Saban." I say the same thing. I don't. I don't know about that. But who would be an example? Because I think when he makes his next move, it's going to be to the SEC, right? He's going to want to be. In the I would think conference. it's. I would think you know just a just a total guess here. You know, he gets them to six and six this year. They go to a bowl game, and then next year they win eight or nine or ten games. I don't even know what you know. Shoot, depending on who they add. I mean, look at the conference they're going into. They exactly. Could, they could do they a could lot of damage. They yeah. could win that conference. And then, but like, I don't know how long Nick Saban is going to coach. Deion Sanders to me is the one guy who's a college coach who is, you know, has the gravitas who would be like, yeah, I know people say don't replace the legend, John Wooden, you know, Nick Saban. But if you're saying A&M wouldn't be comfortable with letting Deion be Deion, you really think Alabama would? Because Nick Saban, I think Alabama would be different in that regard. Now, I, I could see Nick Saban having a role in who you know in who his successor is, but I, I think Nick Saban gets it, and I could be misreading this, but I think Nick Saban gets it in a way that a lot of other these SEC places don't. And I think again, it's. We're talking about Deion Sanders right now, and they're three on three and two. If if Deion Sanders is you know has a top fifty, yeah, thank you. If Deion Sanders is a uh, 
has a top 15 program next year after doing what he's done at Colorado and it keeps elevating, I think Deion Sanders is going to have a lot more cachet and clout for people going, okay, again, and I'm not saying Nick, you know, this is all off the premise that, oh, Nick Saban might, might have one more year left. Nick Saban might have three more years left. Who knows? But I, I, my gut is that Alabama would be a lot more of a receptive fit to him for what he needs, what he wants than what I think A&M would be. Fair enough. Um, let's get to the mailbag. We have some great questions this week. Mailbag brought to you by Graduate Hotels. Heading out for a big game. Book a stay at Graduate Hotels this season and get up to 20% off, plus 50 bucks to spend on food and drinks. Just use code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B at graduatehotels.com. They've got hotels in college towns all over the country. Great for football weekends. They've got live music, pregame refreshments. They've got uh, lamps shaped like school mascots, rooftop bars, and the hotel is usually walking distance to the stadium. So start planning that football weekend now. Don't forget, get up to 20% off your stay, plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. Book now at graduatehotels.com. Stu, let me start with this one. It's from Michael Galvin, and it's uh, it's a Notre Dame question. We obviously talked about them before. Oh, boy, fellas. Andy started playing decent teams, and their offense has seriously regressed. After last offseason's Ludwig debacle, we ended up – that's obviously being Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah, who's still at Utah. We ended up with Jared Parker because he's been close with Marcus Freeman, question mark. The hiring was uninspired, and his results have been pathetic. Help me – make sense of some things is marcus freeman in over his head when does nd start looking at a replacement oc and what are the odds you give as freeman being notre dame's head coach in 2025 the honeymoon is over yes michael they're ready to throw this guy out after what 18 games or so 19 games i don't know um i am a big believer in marcus freeman but i see why he he makes people think Maybe he's not quite ready. Uh, certainly, the the um, not having enough guys on the field at the end of the Ohio State game was a was a real debacle. And then the just I think they just like completely laid an egg against Louisville. There's no other way to put it. I think there's a feeling of this is a missed opportunity. Without you know, you get this one year with Sam Hartman, and as as uh, Michael said, even the offense hasn't been that great. I think they will be great against USC. We'll see. I think this will be a big game for, like, if he beats USC, undefeated, top 10 USC, I'm not sure we'll be getting this question about Marcus Freeman next week. Um, do you think, I don't, do you think Marcus Freeman is in over his head? Let's start with that. I do not. I do think there is a big learning curve for anybody who is thrust into a huge job without ever having been a head coach before. So, look, the guys I can think of who have knocked it out of the park, Bob Stoops, super long time ago, went from being Florida's D.C., learned well under, you know, in his time as a player and assistant at Iowa and then at K-State under Bill Snyder and then Spurrier, you know, Bob got it. It was probably the gold standard of, of those guys. There are very few and far between, though, of guys who jump into big jobs without, like, you know, Nick Saban – bounced around before he got to Alabama. Urban Meyer went from Bowling Green to Utah, then to Florida. You know, I mean, of the guys you've seen who have won national titles, 
um, you know, look, we talked about him before. Jimbo Fisher won a national title, but at the place where he was elevated from, you know, internally at Florida State, Lincoln Riley, and I'm not saying, you know, Ryan Day, these are guys who are elevated up. Even Jim Harbaugh started out at San Diego, University of San Diego, not San Diego State, then went to Stanford and, you know, went to the NFL and now he's at Michigan. It took him a while. I think it's very hard. You see way more examples of guys who don't get it done in their first time at a big blue bud job than the ones who do. And in the case of Marcus Freeman, let's not forget, this happened so quickly. He was the defensive coordinator for Cincinnati uh, two years before he became the head coach at Notre Dame, one of the most prestigious programs in the history of the sport. So I get why people are frustrated. I don't, I think it's too early to write him off in terms of the OC part. Here's the thing. Here's the, the dilemma. Like if you get to the end of the year and you think, man, we, we really could have done better at OC. Are you really going to get, go third offensive coordinator in three years, right? Tommy Reese was only there for a year. Now you're going to do this again next year. That to me is, you've got to have some continuity. Yeah. Um, Ask me this next but, one. Yeah. By the way, oh, I'm leaving out just to, to 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 finish it up. Kirby Smart is obviously another one who fits into the um, Bob Stoops category. There but Kirby Smart few. had a rough first year. Uh, you know, he did. He took him to the national title game his second. That's year. right. Yeah, it was a very un-Georgia like. Um, yeah. Run. Now look, you know, Dan, Dan Lanning. Lanning. Yeah, he's he's an example of this right now. Dan Lanning's been good. Um, but you but know what? Dan Lanning is stepping into a place where they've, it's been a revolving door of head coaches for the last decade, right? It's different than Marcus Freeman took over for Brian Kelly, who the winningest coach of all time at Notre Dame, who had been there for a dozen years by that point. So I don't know, maybe I'm being too generous. I'm giving him uh, more of a, I, I don't, he, he, the honeymoon might be over for Michael Galvin. And it's not for me. Okay. All right, Stu, from Seattle, Robert Maydull. He writes, Dear Stu and Bruce, love the show. Thank you, Robert. Normally, during the playoff era, we've seen any Power 5 champ with one or fewer losses get in. However, it's looking very possible with each conference having at least one heavyweight that there could be five, zero, or one-loss teams. How do you think the committee would handle that? And would that be the first time they have any real pressure in a decision? Thanks for the question, Robert. It has happened before. And in fact, the very first year, 2014, you had, it's, and it's the only time this has happened, really, six teams for four spots. That was the very controversial uh, Baylor and TCU were both 11-1 and one champs of the Big 12, the co-champs of the Big 12, because they didn't have a title game then. And Ohio State, uh, you know, whooped Wisconsin and beat them out. And that was very controversial. It has turned out since then that it usually... For whatever reason, the committee has gotten lucky. There's been a lot of years where it's four clear-cut teams. The other one, and this is crazy when you think about how much you know Ohio State is one of the powers of the sport, but they got left out in 2018 as a one-loss, as a 12 and one Big Ten champ uh, because there were there was one too many. Uh, Oklahoma got in instead, and it wasn't even really that controversial because Ohio State had that awful Purdue loss, right? So it was like, okay, they got left out. I kind of see why. I'm with Robert. I think this year being the last year of the 14 playoff and just looking where we are, I think, I don't think it's going to be clean. I think there's going to be not necessarily undefeated, but more one loss teams than there's room for in part because some of these conferences are so top heavy. 
The Big Ten is going to have an undefeated or one loss champ for sure. The Big 12 is going to have an undefeated or one loss champ. I would think the ACC would. There's going to be upsets, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be crowded. And speaking of a team that could make it crowded, let's go to this question from Brian Black in Atlanta. Hi, Stu and Bruce. Big fan of the podcast. Thanks, Brian. UNC might be having the quietest 5-0 start this season. They're currently ranked number 12 in the AP poll and have a favorable remaining schedule in avoiding both Louisville and, S- and FSU. Which of the following outcomes is most likely for UNC's season? They win the ACC title and a college football playoff berth. They win the ACC title, but no CFP berth. Lose in the ACC championship game. No ACC championship game appearance. I will say lose in the ACC championship game. Um, They have some firepower. Obviously, Drake May, terrific quarterback. The defense statistically is much improved from last year when it was horrific. I I'm a little leery of like, I think it's, it's definitely improved. I'm a little leery of going too far in on the defense because they haven't really played anybody very good. I think the best offense they played so far is Syracuse, which is outside the top 50 offensively. And Syracuse looked awful the week before against Clemson. You know, I feel like Syracuse, you look at what they did. They, they played some bad defenses, you know? So I'm, I don't, again, I, I think with Drake May and the weapons he has, I think that gives you a puncher's chance if, you know, if you're getting Florida State. But I don't think they're slowing Florida State down. And if you ask me, I think that's the scenario. I also think, by the way, Stu, I think they stumble someplace else. Um, they stumble this weekend. You know, they could. Miami I'm, I'm could get over what happened at the end of the game there. Yeah, we'll see what kind of shape Miami is in. I mean, the rest of the schedule, you know, obviously they got to go to they got to go to Clemson. They got to go to NC State. Like, I think both of those games are not going to be easy. Um, and that's, you know, they have Duke at home. It's like, it's not an easy last. I'll be very surprised if they're better than 10 and 2 going into the wherever they are. I'm high on UNC. I think Drake May is unbelievable. Uh, he, for whatever reason, I think it's mostly just because people don't watch ACC football for the most part, unless it's a really big game. So he just doesn't get the the attention some of these other guys do, but I mean, he has such a strong arm. It's it's when you watch it, he makes it look so easy. And I do think the defense, Gene Chizik's defense has gotten a lot better. I'm in the same place you are though. I think if I'm handicapping it right now. And I, this is no disrespect to Louisville or Duke, but uh, I would say Florida state uh, UNC ACC championship game with Florida state winning. By the way, on Drake may, this is an inch. I want to bounce this off you. And again, He's a guy most people think would be the second pick of the draft behind Caleb. And I think there's some people who are going to probably like him more than Caleb in the draft process. Having said that, um, statistically, when the Pac-12 has put up such spectacular numbers, and I, I do think you're right. I think that the ACC is just not watched the same way. But, you know, Drake May, eight touchdowns, four interceptions. That's not the kind of stuff that where people are going to go, oh, yeah, he's going to be on your on your ballot. You know what I mean? It's probably unfair to him, but that's, those are the numbers. And a lot of this is so stats driven. You know what I mean? When Caleb is 23 to one or whatever he is and Penix, I mean, like his numbers, I think are not going to, you know, it's not like they haven't put up a lot of points. They've had over 40 in three of their five games. Um, You know what I mean? That I, I suspect that will be something, some Heisman voters who like, like you said, probably don't watch North Carolina much. 
probably will not help his cause. They're going to have to go to the playoff, I think, for Drake May to, to have shot the Heisman. Here's one last one from James. Hey, guys, Missouri Tiger fan here. I think it's fair to say Mizzou has not been very impressive since joining the SEC. Well, they were the first couple of years when they went to yeah. when they won the East. Mizzou seems to be finding a little groove, though, even with the loss to LSU. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the Tigers this year, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the rest of the season. Uh, like their offense, you know, he brought in – Drinkwitz brought in Kirby Moore from Fresno, and they have a really good passing game. They're explosive. Um, two terrific receivers. I, I think, by and large, Brady Cook has been – has really taken to it. I know Drinkwitz is a good offensive mind. I mean, 13 touchdowns, only two picks – their offensive line, I feel like, is better. They have a run game. You know, like, Cody Schrader has quietly, you know, put up some really big numbers. Like, they're a, they're a good team. They are not, to me, um, at the level. Again, they played a, a, an elite quarterback who's such a playmaker last week, and they that's a tough game to lose, right? I mean, they just couldn't get a stop when they needed it. I don't think they're a top 10 team. I think because of how good their offense has played, I do think they're a top 25 team. My guess is they'll probably be eight and four, which in the SEC, that usually gets you in the top 25. You know, I look at the, what they have left. The schedule is going to get harder because they have back to back at Georgia and then Tennessee. And they obviously have this week's game. We'll see what kind of shape Kentucky's in after getting smashed by Georgia, but that's three top 25 opponents, you know, like, None of these games left, the last six games, are going to be, you know, toss-ups, but are going to be cakewalks. But I, I would guess they can get three more wins out of this to go eight and four. And then the if you're a Mizzou fan, you should be excited that uh, uh, assuming, well, don't assume anything anymore, but like Brady Cook, Luther Burden, those guys should be back next year. Um, you know, Drinkowitz is very, uh, I think people really like him. But to this point, he had gone five and five, six and seven, and six and seven. And I think if they had another season like that this year, things would not be so good for him. But I do think they're going to, you're right, they're going to have a probably fringe top 25 type season. And then, I, and then I think the future is very bright. He is getting five star guys to start coming there. Um, Luther Burden was one of the most uh, highly sought after recruits in the country. They just got, you're going to, I don't remember his name. You're going to know it. Defensive lineman that picked them over Oklahoma, Mm five-star guy. Um, You know, I think the future's bright there. Um, It's unfortunate for them that they're in the same division as Georgia, but I don't know that they're at a decided disadvantage to the other teams. So I think if I'm a Mizzou fan, I'd be excited. I'd be frustrated they didn't finish out the game the other day because that was a missed opportunity. For most of that game, I thought they were going to beat LSU. But Jane Daniels just is Superman, and and they could not stop him towards the end of that game. Yeah, and like, as you said, their their two top recruits are both guys who are on the defensive side of the ball. That would definitely help them. All right, Stu, this next question from Sean in Houston. People talk about players coming back for an extra year because they can get as much NIL money as they could make in the NFL. But isn't that the wrong way of looking at it? Assuming a player will retire at a certain age, regardless of when they went into the NFL, staying an extra year in college costs them a year of their second or third contract, not the initial one. Seems like that math would suggest coming back for an IL money would be lose, a losing proposition, draft stock improvement aside. 
specifically the talk about Caleb Williams coming back for next year in part because of NIL versus rookie contract being not that different when in reality it's an end year contract where today's quarterbacks are making tens of millions per year. I think it's a different equation for somebody like for somebody like Caleb Williams if he actually came back I think he's absolutely right like that would be um he would be delaying the clock on a on a possible second or third con you know he's absolutely right about that the guys where we're talking about like Penix and Knicks are guys who would not have gone as high in the draft if they'd come out last year I, I you know the guys that helps the most are guys who could use another year to improve their draft stock Nick Saban talks about this all the time because he's got obviously guys every year that can turn pro early is if you can go in the top 10, the top 15, just the first round in general, you should go. There's a big drop off in that rookie contract the further you go down the first round into the second round. And so I'm not going to, you know, somebody who's much more familiar with the salary cap and stuff would have to come in with the calculator here. But I would think if you come back and play well enough to turn yourself from a third round pick into a first round pick, you are going to more than make up for that, you know, first you missing first year salary um, on the back end. Like you're going to start your you're going to start your clock, if you will, at a higher salary. And then the, and if you have a good NFL career, like you're going to make even more down the road. Am I are you uh, this is a little dense. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm following what you're saying, but it's like it's also a different calculus. Most guys who are in this discussion cannot be thinking about what their third NFL contract is like. Most guys who play college football, even if they're starters, are not getting a third contract. You know, the average shelf life is way shorter than that. So I think, you know, the Caleb situation is different. I think, um, you know, there's one guy I can think of when I did all my draft stuff last year, talking to people where it was like, people were like, he could have come out. And that was Jared Verse. You know, some of the NFL people I talked to thought Jared Verse could have been a top 10 pick last year. Um, when I say last year, I mean, you know, whatever, six months ago. But uh, by and large, and look, maybe Jared Verse will be a top five pick now. Who knows? Um, it's one thing for people in the draft world to speculate. When I say draft world, I'm talking about people who have actually worked for NFL teams, not like some guy doing a mock draft who, you know, most people have never heard of. But I think that is the tricky part of the calculus is like, okay, what information are you getting? What Intel are you getting? Um, you know, the, again, and the Caleb thing is, is to me very unique to him than it is to other people. You know, who is the craziest one in the last few years? And I think this was before NIL, but I remember being shocked when Travis Etienne came back for his senior season. Um, it worked. He became a first round pick 25th pick. He's off to a great start in the NFL. But given the short shelf life of running backs, and like you talked about, like, are you even going to make it to a second contract? I was really surprised he didn't go ahead and get get started on that NFL cycle. But I'm looking now. Yeah, his last year was 2020 before NIL became a thing. He could have made a lot of NIL money for sure um, if, if it was a year later. So uh, long story short, I know what his dad said. I can't imagine Caleb Williams is coming back next year. He's got way too much at stake. But there will be some guys who, um, it's too, I can't think of, well, Shador Sanders is a good example. I know it's a unique situation with his dad, but, you know, he could turn pro. I kind of think he won't, right? Because there's only so many teams, the money. That, there's only also so many teams that need a quarterback and that'll draft a quarterback. 
I mean, there may be five top 15 caliber quarterbacks, depending on what Quinn Ewers ends up looking like for the rest of the year. But there's a, you have, there's at least three I know that, you know, NFL teams have very high thoughts on Caleb, Drake, May, JJ McCarthy. You add in. You think JJ uh, McCarthy is higher regarded by the NFL than Knicks and Penix? Um, I know of one front office guy who thinks very highly of him. Because he was exactly who I was going to bring up as an example of a guy who could go out, could be drafted fairly high, but you know, if he came back, Michigan's collective, whatever. We'll there's a lot of money. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to consider there. I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Like, I think there's. You know, if Michigan does what I think they're going to do this year, I don't think Jim Harbaugh is coming back. You yeah. know, if you have a coaching change there, but talent wise, he's definitely first round talent from everything I've heard. And people think could be top 10 kind of guy. I don't know where yours is. You know, Shador, I think is definitely impressive. You have a bunch of guys in there, like, and there's still a lot of football left. I mean, obviously, Penix, the injury concerns are what they are. Um but I, I think you have a chance to see what guys can can um, prove this this point forward. It's gonna be a great weekend. Uh, there's no other way to say it. Um, uh, <laughs> we're not sure yet when we're, we will record the podcast on Sunday. It's a little different than usual because you usually fly back on Saturday, but it's a su- Saturday night game, so you're flying back on Sunday. Um, I have a much shorter flight home at some point that day, but uh, it'll be fun. I don't. It'll be fun. It's going to be a fun weekend. There will be upsets and games you're not expecting. Uh, just a quick thing I noticed on the TV schedule. There's almost nothing of note in the noon window. There's a couple in the 3.30 window. And then night game, like I hope you have picture-in-picture, picture, uh, multi-view, multiple TVs, something. Because for whatever reason, there's just like this. This Here, I'll just read it to you real quick. Um all these games are all at around 7, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Auburn, LSU, um, USC, Notre Dame, Miami, UNC, and UCLA, Oregon State. And, Missouri, right, gonna... and Missouri, Kentucky. So throw that in there too. Send your questions to audiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.